Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. And welcome to our live Texans postgame show. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to our first show of 2023. Robert here with Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. We've been 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering Houston sports. And Sean, the Texans came up huge in the clutch today. They needed this loss and they nailed it. Yeah, but the Bears didn't reciprocate. You know, we needed a little help from the Bears. So, like, uh, you know, you can take the foot off the gas, so to speak, <laughs> next week. But, I mean, man, hey, this is the AFC South, right? Like, always comes down to the wire. It might be ugly, but now you've got Jags and you've got Titans playing for a winner-go-home game week 18, and you've got Texans and Bears. All eyes on them. Who's going to screw it up? <laughs> hopefully the Texans continue to take care of business. But this is what bothers me. They have to find a way to lose to the fighting Jeff Saturdays. And that bothers the heck out of me because my goodness, I feel like, I feel like the Texan, Texans could probably go like with their twos and threes and still beat the Indianapolis Colts next week. They've been that bad, that much of a disaster. I'm just hoping Indianapolis can get like, a 30 to nothing lead right out of the shoot, kind of like Jacksonville did today against the Texans. And uh, we kind of go from there, but I don't, I don't need blowing a number one pick in my life, man. We've been through it all the last three years and you better get this right. You're out at NRG stadium right now. I hear, I hear a lot of yelling. I assume that isn't from Texans fans celebrating. <laughs> you know what? I actually thought you were playing audio or something. And I'm like, what's Robert playing? Like, is this like fake cheer, fake applause or something? But yeah, there's people on the field and, you know, they do this from time to time. Oh, there's a big group down there taking a, a group picture of about 75, 100 people. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about, but yeah, <laughs> you got to find something to cheer about. Hey, it's New Year's Day, right? Everybody's kind of uh, happy. You put this one in your rearview mirror. And that was that was kind of the message, you know, from the locker room today after this one. I talked to basically everybody I could. Uh, Jerry Hughes, Christian Kirksey, Malik Collins, Obo Okoronkwo, Brandon Cooks. Kenyon Green, um, Jalen Petrie. Um, I, I kind of treated today in the locker room. I was trying to get to everybody I could as kind of like an exit interview because it's the last home game. And, you know, I don't know how many opportunities I'm going to have to really get fresh, raw emotion after a loss, you know, from these guys. And, and Because after a loss like this, particularly when it's your last opportunity uh, to win a game at home, and now the Texans set a franchise record First time they've never win, gone winless at home. So they're, oh, what, oh, seven and one this season. Never happened before in the history of the franchise. I don't know how many times it's happened actually in the history of the NFL outside of the five times that teams have gone 0 and 16 um, since 1944. Uh, so the, the emotion was kind of strange because we got a lot of reaction about, like, hey, here's the message from, to the fans. For this last week, here's the message from the coaches for this last week. And there was a lot of confusion. Like, I don't know why the guys came out so low on energy today after they've remarkably kind of been able to compound that despite, you know, uh, two losses in their last three games. They did get the win against Tennessee last weekend, but playing so well against the Cowboys, against the Chiefs, getting the victory over the Titans. They all said they were able to, you know, kind of compound that energy and use that momentum. And today, 
Kirksey made, I, I think, probably had the best explanation. Um, like from a raw emotion standpoint, he said, man, there's just no explanation for it. You know, you think you got it going one way and you come out and you can kind of just feel the energy just leave the building. And giving up a touchdown on that opening drive, you saw the frustration with Jerry Hughes throwing his helmet. We've seen that a, co- uh, a couple of times from him this year. Something, something wasn't right with this team. Um, but it was a very awkward thing for me because internally I'm thinking, good job, guys. And then in the other sense, at one side of my mouth, I'm saying, man, how difficult is it, to be honest with you, like how difficult it is to not win a game at home this season and, and to, 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 this ha- to, to this end product, everything that you've kind of played for, this be the result. It was, it was just a very weird, awkward kind of tone in the locker room. All right, before we lose everybody, we're not talking about the specifics of the game, and I want to get into yep. something else, and I want people to get in our comments for their take on Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud's performances yesterday because this is the most important decision in the next five years for the Texans. I do not say this lightly. In Stroud's last college game, a national semi, he throws four touchdowns, no picks, 23 for 34, 348 yards. His team lost, but he was impressive. He finishes the season, 41 touchdowns, six picks. Bryce Young also put on a show in his final game, five touchdowns, no picks for him, 15 for 21 for 321 yards. And you're like, well, he's not in the national semi game, but Bama blew out a Kansas State team that had just beat the TCU team, who is now in the championship game. Bryce finishes with 32 touchdowns this year, five picks, and Sean, I'm just wondering, were you zeroed in on those two games like I was to see these guys? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, it, it does come down to uh, what they've done, you know, as a, for a career at their respective colleges, whether it be Alabama or Ohio State, but you do want to see those last that last game or those last games particularly, you know, Stroud's got an extra one to play. Um, Young is done. You want to see what they look like against some of the best competition in college football. You didn't really get a chance to see that against uh, Kansas State in, in, for, for Bryce, but I thought C.J. Stroud probably had the best opportunity and, you know, seized the moment to increase his stock, increase conversation about him going into April 27th, and I think he absolutely did it. He did some things yesterday, and it doesn't surprise me because I don't know if it was you and me or me and Brandon Scott. It was probably Brandon. Um I've just talked to, with a lot of people over the course of the last couple of weeks. Um, and we all knew that, you know, Stroud possessed that skill set to uh, be elusive, to extend plays, to operate in the pocket, to throw under pressure. All of that was on display last night. And um, doing what he did outside of the pocket, um, getting yards, big-time first downs with his legs, not just with his arm. Um, you could see clearly that uh, if you watched him all season long, and this year's really the year that most people did, he could make almost every throw, you know, off balance, on balance, cross the field, one hash to the other. Um, he can He's dropped dimes all season long. It's been a fantastic career, a fantastic season for Stroud. I really zeroed in on all of those things last night looking for them, and they were all on display. And as far as Bryce Young goes, I mean – if you want to call it, you know, 
a master class, sure, I guess you can do that. I just wish he would have had the opportunity against a better uh, competitor than Kansas Well, State. it was a good competitor. It's just Alabama, you know, did a, a fantastic job on the defensive side, and, and they didn't make the game close. Like I said, Kansas State, they just beat TCU. Yeah, I the same, t- the same TCU team that, you know, took care of Michigan and is in the championship game. And to me, to me I, I sort of put everything out of the way, and I'm just watching – you know, what kind of throws that they're making, the accuracy down the field. And I watched Davis Mills today, and I don't know how many times this year I've seen him not even give his receiver a chance on these throws down either the left sideline or the right sideline, 20, 30 yards down the field. And those guys were dropping it in buckets most of the game last yesterday with those two two uh, games. And so I, that, that's what I'm looking at. The difference, though, is Stroud just physically. I mean, we keep talking about this with Bryce Young. He doesn't look like that guy physically. So it comes down to can he do it with such accuracy and be so smart mentally that it doesn't matter? And and their numbers line up. But, you know, Bryce Young's going up against the SEC. The Big Ten doesn't always look like that good, Sean. So you have to account for all of that. But their numbers this year, when I looked at them, Remarkably similar overall yardage, everything. Um, we know that uh, those two guys are, are going to be the likely the first two quarterbacks taken in the draft. And Sean, I, the one thing that I thought about when I'm watching the, a little bit of Bryce Young is he, I looked at his body and everybody goes, oh, he's small and everything. But he kind of reminds me a little bit of Joe Montana physically. And that's how good he's going to have to be mentally honestly, to be a great quarterback in the NFL. He's going to have to be Joe Montana good. Yeah, I you could. I haven't heard Joe Montana. I've heard a little bit of Drew Brees in relation to Bryce Young. and But, but uh, Drew uh, is like stocky, yeah. and he looks like, you know, he could have been a, 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 a strong safety or something like that oh, well, if he wasn't a yeah, quarterback. You're talking body type and, and measurables and all that stuff too, he, um, which – yeah, I mean, I'd have to – Joe, to be honest with you, he was a little bit in my youth. I did get a chance to see the Kansas City Chief version of Joe Montana <clears throat> of Joe Montana, whenever I was a kiddo. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you there. But I did mention Drew Brees for one reason. Um, a lot of people have kind of started to bring his name up and compare. And I'll reference one. I thought it was a fantastic interview. If you'd like to go back and listen to it this morning on Texans Radio with Sean Pendergast and Seth Payne, they had a former Texan running back on, Jonathan Wells, who's an Ohio State alum and obviously paid very close attention to C.J. Stroud last night. And so there was a debate amongst, you know, who the quarterback is, you know, and who the Texans should draft. And obviously a little bit of bias here, maybe, uh, even though he didn't, he said there wasn't as much. There has to be a little bit. He's C.J. Stroud, Jonathan Wells I'm talking about. He's C.J. Stroud all the way. But when he was talking about Bryce Young, I thought this was kind of interesting. You know, he hates the idea of a small quarterback just in the NFL in general today because of, you know, how much bigger, faster, stronger these defensive linemen and these linebackers are. One thing I'll say, though, to counter that real quickly Mm -hmm. is unlike – back in Joe Montana's day or just go back 10 or 15 years ago, I know. they can't, yeah. they can't get hit like they used to, you know, they're protect yes. these guys. And I think a lot of people are starting to kind of kind of talk their ways into that. I think Seth Payne uh, before the interview, if I remember correctly, even made mention as such for him personally, he's kind of just based on how the game is trending. As you're saying, they're being protected. Quarterbacks are being protected a little bit more. Um, and I can't argue that either. It's just, 
it takes one hit. We talk about it all the time. It takes one hit when you're pinning your hopes, your dreams, you know, and one guy for a franchise, the face of a franchise. It, it scares you a little bit. But, hey, man, this is a game you can't play scared. This is a game you can't manage scared. This is a game you can't coach scared. I want to take the best guy available at said need position, which is quarterback. And after watching those two games yesterday, I went in with the mindset, two things, really. I've been a Bryce guy, changed my mind. Watching that game against Kansas State, regardless of them not having one of the top defensive tackles in, the, in, in college football lining up against him, regardless of not having one of the best linebackers line up against him or corners, okay, they're still a top 10 ranked team, and he still took care of business, and he looked great doing it. Five touchdowns did all of the things that I wanted to see him do, hung tough in the pocket, made great accurate throws, threw receivers open, extended plays, did everything that he's been doing for the last you know couple of years as their quarterback. So I like that. Stroud, I went into it saying, sell me on Stroud. Because if the Texans screw this up and they don't own the number one overall pick, a lot of things can happen to where they might even fall to five. Wait, wait, wait a second. I'm going to yep. give you another scenario that I think a lot of people aren't thinking about. The assumption we make is it's a disaster if the Texans blow it next week by winning and dropping to, say, number two, for example. Yeah. But who knows what happens in these next few months? Some NFL team could fall in love with Stroud and trade to number one for him instead of Bryce. So the consensus may change in the two QBs that you might consider almost equal it means that the Texans still get a Bryce Young. If you consider Stroud and, and Bryce at about the same level, yeah. and what what if you think both of them are going to be really good? Is it worth trading up to to, to take one over the other? And and frankly, the the one thing that I always think about with quarterbacks is, you know, you can talk measurables all you want, but it comes down to anticipation, reading defenses looking guys off Davis Mills just stares guys down. It just drives me nuts. I'm like throwing stuff at the TV. Like Davis look the other way occasionally. And these two guys, it's going to come down to is Bryce's mental game enough of an advantage over CJ Stroud's physical game. And do they think CJ Stroud can be that guy mentally? Because as we talked about with the interview that I did with, um, Mirren on from the ringer just this last week, you know, she talks about that, like the fact that, you know, this guy is just such a leader and so smart. And you you hear them talking about him, you know, Bill O'Brien, if you want to <laughs> take into Bill O'Brien, what he has to say, but he was saying, yeah, I have to be prepared when I go into the team meetings with this guy on Tuesday, because he's done all the work and I got to be ready for his questions. Yeah. I mean, you got to take, uh, at the end of the day, I mean, look, Bill O'Brien is a pretty damn good offensive coordinator. Um, we could say what we want to about head coach and front office moves and stuff like that. I, I do respect, um, you know, what, what his resume is as an offensive coordinator. And, look, this is his job right now. Um, there's probably a little bit of salesmanship there, too. I mean, you're trying to get the very best scenario for your player, um, as he should. So maybe take it with a grain of salt for the lack of a better term, but just also trust your eyes, you know, trust great reporting, trust, um, you know, great playmaking, trust a guy. And when you watch him on a Saturday, what he does, how he reacts under pressure, the adversities, you know, both Bryce Young and CJ Stroud to varying degrees have faced 
uh, a number of adversities in their college career. And one of the great points that I think people forget about in regards to C.J. Stroud that Jonathan Wells brought up in the interview today was that, hey, look, you know, the second half of the season at Ohio State, there's a little bit he didn't have Marvin Harrison Jr., one of the greatest <laughs> receivers in college football this year, you know, at his disposal. They played a little bit without their running back. And Stroud was able to still kind of steady the ship, make that happen, play good football, take good care of the football, and not try to do too much. And in fact, those opportunities allow you to grow as an individual, as a player. And it, those those opportunities make you become a better leader when you're thrust into those situations. The Bryce guys would say he didn't have a Marvin Harrison this year, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely fair. Um, and that's why I say, you know, you, you have to pay attention, you know, to, to the details for both of these guys. Um, not just who they were throwing the ball to, the circumstances around them in regards to injury, you know, the tough games. Alabama wasn't Alabama, like vintage Alabama this year, and they still wound up pretty damn good. All right, why? Bryce Young, you know, took great care of the football, made the plays to keep his team in games, give them opportunities late, even, you know, made plays in season in this this season against teams where they had to fight and claw their way back. He put them in position to do just that. And so I like those kind of qualities about a guy, a quarterback, the leader of my franchise, somebody that's not going to give up, somebody that's not going to do too much, somebody that's not going to you know, try to play outside of themselves, so to speak, but just seize the day, take control, continue to make smart, uh, well-calculated decisions, while to the rest of us it looks you know, sometimes otherworldly with the things that you see Bryce Young do and even C.J. Stroud and some of the throws that he's made this season. Um, that's all very well in their skill set. And that's the kind of play that, you know, we've almost kind of come to expect with a young uh, quarterback with 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 those traits. Yeah. And and I guess, you know, you you are right. The fact that Stroud played a better team. You know, like I said, I just feel like people downplay a little bit Kansas State, but that Georgia pass rush has got a guy that's going to be yes, top of the draft. You know, we know yes. we know where where he's going to be in the NFL and and, yes. and and he could be fantastic. So that was a big deal to see, you know, the 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 Georgia um you know, the, the defensive line and 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 you're getting a legit thing, but Ohio State, of course, they, they've got some good offensive linemen too. They're no joke either. Uh I just thought it was real interesting, the dichotomy of watching those two quarterbacks go to work and how physically different they were, but the results were almost identical. Yeah, and, and look, I don't mean to, like, you know, totally downplay Kansas State. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I mean, it's still a top-10 team, and Alabama and Bryce Young took care of business, right? Um, it just it – it would have been cool if they would have been a prime time and they would have been facing, I don't know, Michigan or um, – a TCU or somebody, like USC, somebody like that, like even just Georgia in itself, like with a, a top tier defensive lineman or linebacker core and, and just optics do matter for us, right? Yeah, Br it's, Bryce has faced those teams though this year. I mean, it's not like he hasn't faced those teams and they're big but on games. The big Alabama it's always a big, everybody's bringing your, their best against Alabama right. without question, just like they are with Ohio state. Yeah. And he's, he's done this for two years. He had a Heisman last year. I mean, like the guy's got credentials and you know, they, both of those guys just don't have one good year. They've got two good years. Whereas, you know, we just watched Davis Mills come out 
and had no good years and and, and barely played uh, a season and a, and a third or a season and a quarter or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, no, it, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's just, it's the big stage. It's the feel. It's the last game of the season uh, in Bryce's case and in Alabama's case. And look, the performance last night by C.J. Stroud leading his uh, team down the field um, and, and gave him a chance to win um, against the guy who literally last night up until really the fourth quarter was kind of middling. I didn't think looked all that good in, in, in Stetson Bennett. Man, the guy operated with ice water in his veins, man. Made some great throws, made some great plays, did what he needed to do to get his team in position to be successful. And, man, he just seemed to make play after play after play, and his receivers did a fantastic job, um, you know, getting open and making some really terrific plays and catches. But um, that's all you can ask for. Just look at the totality of what he did in that game. Stroud had the biggest stage. Bryce didn't, but they both – you know, cream rises to the top. They're both really, really great college quarterbacks. And I'm I'm at the point, like I said, I wanted to be sold on C.J. Stroud after last night, and I kind of am now because the worst feeling, I guess, from a fan standpoint of view is if the Texans don't control their own destiny and lose out on the number one pick, and that is what it comes down to. You want them to have control. I don't want to have to deal with all these scenarios. They need to control their own destiny just as they'd had the first 14, 15, 16 weeks of the season where they had the number one overall pick cinched up seemingly and they screwed it up, you know, (laughs) beating the Titans last weekend. They need to control their own destiny. And if they don't, at least you feel pretty good about if you don't get Bryce, you get CJ. If you don't get CJ, you get Bryce. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the big takeaways as I was watching the game. It's like, well, maybe maybe second prize isn't so bad after yesterday. Yeah, and, and I, I'll hear the argument, you know, about measurables and why they matter. I mean, we know they do to a degree, but, you know, circumstances also matter as well. You know, what kind of offense is he in? What kind of offensive line is he going to have here? Um, and the fact that if you're just going to say, well, the referees, you know, they protect the quarterbacks. Hey, man, you're one hit away no matter who you are, no matter what size, 6'3 or 5'10. You're always just one hit away. Um, from it being your last snap you ever take in a college football game, NFL game, whatever it is. So just understand from that standpoint of view, I still want the Texans, regardless of measurables, to take the best guy on the board at said position. And the most, the biggest need is a quarterback for this team, somebody that is the face of your franchise, somebody that's equipped to be the face of your franchise. And from, from a, character standpoint from a personality standpoint i think both cj stroud and bryce young in that regard are both well equipped to do just that just real quick on the physical stuff i don't i don't tend to worry about the physical stuff because like i said the, the game has changed but also because you look at a guy like cam newton and he's huge but he was willing to take those hits his career got shortened yeah. he screwed up his body he didn't you know get down when he should have gotten down and Russell Wilson, the exact opposite, he had a much longer career at his prime. Yes, right now he doesn't look good, but he's 34 years old and he's 12 years into his career now or something like that. So it's like you, you, you have to always take into account like that, that, that typically a lot of those big hits that once it hurts quarterbacks, a lot of times they're once out of the pocket. Yeah, I know Tua's has had some concussions and stuff like that, maybe in the pocket this year, but 
and two is big, you know, so like he's had a, a ton of concept. It's, it's a lot of times it's, it's luck. It's just flat out luck. Yeah, it's luck. I mean, look at uh, the 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 play that Malik Collins made on uh, Patrick Mahomes a couple of weeks ago. You know, grabs him around the shoulders, and really, at the end of the day, when he had, you know, that torque, he slung him down by the head. You know, and I can't remember if his helmet came off, if it almost came off, whatever it was. There was question about that being an illegal hit. Well, it probably would have been at the time if Mahomes wasn't, you know, uh, didn't become a runner after the fumble, but. I mean, what, what, when Patrick Mahomes came in, he was a guy that was pretty slight abilities, put on some weight. Now he's a bigger, taller guy um, and, and things like that. But, hey, getting slung around like that, a concussion does not discriminate. It doesn't care what size you are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just the constant sling and the head bouncing off of the turf. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Tua. It doesn't matter if it's Aaron Rodgers. You know, it doesn't happen to Rodgers all the time, okay? Really ever. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it's also a different style. And it's the situations that they're putting themselves in based on their skill set. Two is a guy that can do a lot of different things. Rodgers is not that guy. And there's so many quarterbacks like that with varying skill sets. Now, with C.J. Stroud, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson, but a little bit more controlled. Like, I like his ability to make plays. And it's really just the idea, the thought in the moment of, I know I can trust my arm, but I don't need to here. I'm going to take advantage of what's in front of me, and I've completely cleared out the middle of this field, so let me pull this right quick and make a decision, and I'm going to run. But it's making the decision to get down to slide, and it's something that Deshaun always didn't do. But you know what? C.J. Stroud wasn't afraid to take, take a hit last night either. He lowered that shoulder and got himself an extra couple of yards on that last drive, and that that's just kind of the plays. That's a competitor. That's a that's a playmaker. That's what I want. And so in that regard, you know, I kind of have those flashbacks and and see a little bit of Deshaun in him in that in that grit. Like, yeah, okay, the guy's a little bit of slide of build, and he has a good arm too. He doesn't always have to do this with his legs, but when he sees the opportunity to seize the moment, seize that play, take advantage of what the defense is showing him, he he, there's no qualms about it. He's gonna take he's gonna take it. Hey, we want to hear everybody in the comments and what you guys think. Whether you like Stroud. Or Bryce, let us know. Reminder to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, definitely when you subscribe, make sure you're getting our updates. And so you see when we put up new shows, again, subscribing, commenting, it's the best way to support us. Look for all the live shows that we do under the live tab on our YouTube page or listen on your favorite podcast app. And I, I want to get to a couple of quick things on the game, Sean. Uh, if you looked at the box score, Jalen Petrie had a great game. 13 tackles, 11 solo tackles, one pass defense and his fifth pick of the season. But you had to watch the game. And some people yeah. probably fell asleep or didn't watch the whole game. There yeah. were three tackles where he literally touched offensive players already on the ground. So, yeah, 13 tackles, but watch it closely. Most of his tackles were in the secondary. None were tackles for loss or at the line of scrimmage. He also, Sean, this is the biggest thing, three Huge missed tackles. The problem continues. Etienne got 23 more yards after one, 55 yards and a touchdown after another, and Ingram got eight more yards after reception, which adds up to 96 yards of the Jags' total offense were missed Jalen Petrie tackles, Sean. And that might be the stat of the year uh, for Jalen Petrie. I don't think he's um, – in. in because of what the offense did after he missed those tackles. I mean, that might be the most egregious stat against him all season is what I'm trying to say. 
kind of tongue in cheek, but you know, also not really. That 62-yard touchdown run by Travis Etienne was probably the best missed tackle of the season uh, for Jalen Petrie, just because of what it meant. You know, allowed the Jags to get on the board early and kind of uh, impose their will on the Texans. And for being honest, I mean, like you want the number one pick, you wanted this team to lose today, um, though. Kind of microcosm of the season. Yeah, you kind of you wanted them to position themselves for the best possible, uh, you know, draft pick. But you just don't want them to look terrible doing it. And particularly with an ascending player like Jalen Peacher, who's played so well, Robert, really the last month of the season um, and has seemingly cleaned up a lot of those issues with his tackling. His being, he's been a lot more physical. He's used his arms, his hands a little bit more in recent weeks. Today, it was probably his worst game of the season just based off of those numbers alone. Because you can miss a tackle and have it not hurt you, you know, as much. Jonathan Owens had been there to clean up a lot of those plays before this season. But 62 yards, 55 yards after contact there, a total of 96 yards after contact on Petrie alone. That's bad. Just too many times. And it's not like I haven't seen it in recent weeks. Like, I still have seen it. He gets away with it sometimes where he just runs into a guy and he tries to like shoulder the guy over and, and he just doesn't wrap up. And it's the wrapping up part, Sean is so key because it's not just the missed tackles. If you put your arms around a guy, it's a much better shot. I think of you knocking the ball loose. Yeah. Well, on, on the ETN run, he tried to, he tried to wrap up, but it was a terrible angle. He didn't break down and that's the thing. Like, if you're taking a bad angle and you're not breaking down, you know, you could lead with the shoulder, arms, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get that guy when you're, you have two individuals going in opposite directions. I mean, it's just fundamentals. You talk about angle tackling all the time. It's something that they can't really work on to any degree at this level because of limited contact and practice and all of those issues. But it's something that absolutely has to change. It does come down to the angle. It does come down to just fundamentally breaking down and limiting the damage, stopping the bleeding. That was that was really the message, you know, today in terms of like microcosm of the season, really. But it's it's stopping the bleeding. You know, look, the guy busts out for, you know, 12, 15 yards. OK, if you're Petrie, if you're Jonathan Owens or if you're Desmond King and you're one of those guys in the secondary, you've got to be able to stop the bleeding in that particular moment and just make a play. Just make a play. And the the problem, you know, Jalen Petrie's made some sexy plays of late. You're talking about not really wrapping up, leading with the shoulder, popping guys, you know, on the sideline and stuff. It sounds good. It looks good. Yes, it's still fundamentally an issue for him, and it's cost the Texans, and it will continue to cost them until those things are shored up. But, you know, look, he's, he's a young player. I mean, I'm hoping, just like anybody else, that, like, Trust your eyes. He's got good, young, raw talent. He'll put some weight on. I think he'll add some muscle, and I think he'll clean some of the tackling issues up technique-wise. It's a big deal what happens with him early next year, how much he's got in the weight room, how much that stuff has changed. Yeah, You know, that's that's another reason why maybe I want a new coaching staff in because I, I feel like, you know, maybe he hasn't got that nailed into his head enough. Like, you've got to use your arms, dude. you got to use your – I mean – I can't imagine that these guys don't know that. However, it's not changed and that hasn't gotten into him. And he's still doing the technique wise. There's too many times where he's just not, the technique is, is, is not good. And, you know, it's like, we've got four, we had four high picks this year, you know, in the, in the first, second and third round that played. 
uh, with Jalen Petrie, Stingley, Kenyon Green, and Christian Harris. I have no confidence that any of these guys are good enough to be somebody that we're excited about for years. These are all high in their round picks. And Stingley, I'm worried about him staying on the field, as we've talked about in the past. Kenyon Green, I'm worried about, man, is he ever going to be able to have the technique as far as pass as far as uh, pass blocking and 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 that type of thing with Petrie, it's just it's this tackling. It's mostly just the tackling. And is he big enough and physical enough? And can he get that stuff down? And with uh, Christian Harris, Harris yeah. I just haven't seen the flashes at this point of oh, this guy because you know with there's a lot of positions in the NFL, Sean. I don't know if you if you agree with me on this. There's a lot of positions. It might take two or three or four years for a guy to really show you like he can be good. We've seen. Kareem Jackson take a while. Cornerbacks sometimes take take some time. We saw Dwayne Brown take a while at left tackle. Linebackers, typically, when they're good, they're good immediately. They have the instincts. They have the physical ability. It's there pretty quickly, and you see it. If it takes a while, it usually doesn't come at all, as far as I've seen. Uh, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I'm, I'm really looking forward to this week, uh, which – in large part, I mean, it might be a few days the, the following week after the uh, conclusion of that Colts game, uh, depending on our access, what that's like with the players. But I, I really wanted to talk to um, some veterans about that, particularly, um, you know, Royce Freeman, not so much Damian Pierce because he's a rookie. You know, Royce Freeman's been in the league for a little bit. Rex Barkhead's been in the league, obviously, for a long time. In regards to running backs, but also linebackers, I wanted to talk to Christian Kirksey, Um and, and, and some other veterans there and talk about speed of the game. Because what I think is very interesting is that so many times you hear running backs refer to speed of the game and that being kind of like one of the biggest hurdles to adjust to their first year or two in the league versus linebackers who really, they kind of dictate the speed of the game, you know, and what's the speed of the game? What does that mean? Why is it different at the NFL versus college or any other level? Well, at the NFL, you're talking about the best of the best. You're talking about, you know, an individual being in the best possible position to make a play pre-snap and then trusting their instincts, you know, identifying, you know, run versus pass, hitting that hole, you know, playing proper technique wise, not getting sucked into, you know, the box, moving laterally, you know, stuff like that from a linebacker standpoint, they dictate the speed of the game. I want to know the difference in what that's like for a run back, running back versus a linebacker and some other players on the field and why and how that affects them differently. And I say that to kind of defend Christian Harris to a degree because I think he does possess, you know, a lot of that raw skill set that, that it takes to be a great linebacker in the NFL. I, I've seen flashes of it. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, the guy's coming off of his best game as a pro, 14 tackles, three TFLs, just disruptive and making plays all over the field. Yes, he was missing some tackles, but this defense causes him to be in coverage more than I think he should. I sat up in the box today, I'm just looking, I'm like, boy, how can the Texans fix this defense scheme-wise to where it doesn't take literally your best linebacker out of the box and take him out of a position to do his job? You know, he's 15 yards down the field in coverage, and what is it? It's a delayed cutback run right up the middle, right in where his wheelhouse would have been. And so how can you, as a defensive coordinator, continue to keep a linebacker in the best possible position for him to succeed, for your defense to succeed? I don't think that's in a Lovey Smith system. 
You know, we talk about players being complementary pieces to a defense, and I think this is the complete opposite for Christian Harris. It doesn't seem like his role, what he does, you know, from a raw skill set standpoint, how disruptive he can be, he's not allowed to do that in this defense. That's just from my observation. And, you know, look, take that for what it's worth. But I think if you look at the totality of the season for him, we've got, what, eight, nine, ten games under his belt. I don't think we've really seen that. But I just remember the guy and what he looked like in that national championship game, you know, uh, 11 months ago now. And he was phenomenally disruptive against some of the best talent that you can get in college football. And I thought it translated excellent to the NFL. I want to see him in a completely different defense and defense that is going to capitalize on his strengths. The hope for Christian Harris and Kenyon Green is they've missed so much time yeah. in training camp and early in the season. So okay. we'll see, you know, what that means to them. I mean, it just it always seems to matter when guys get hurt, they get behind, especially rookies. So we'll see about that. A couple of quick notes on the game. Also, Kaimi Fairbairn hits his ninth straight 50 plus yard field goal, a 56 yarder. He's 14 for 18 beyond 50 yards in the last three seasons. 14 for 18. He's 28 for 30 overall this season. He's also perfect on extra points after missing 11 of them the previous three seasons. Sean, this is easily his best season, but I want to say something on the 50-yard field goals. It seems like there were so many times where Bill O'Brien, who's put all this money into Kaimi Fairmarad as a kicker, would not let him kick 50-yard field goals. And there were more opportunities, even though you look at the last few years, and his 50-yard opportunities are not a whole lot different from the Bill O'Brien era. It's it's different because there were more chances because our offense, obviously, was better than it's been in the last two or three years. Yeah, I, I actually made, had a, the same thought during the game right after he made that 56-yard field goal. And I didn't see the side angle, but, boy, it sure looked like it would have been good close to 60. I mean, you yeah. know the guy's got a, a, a great leg. And for him this year, he stayed remarkably healthy. I think we'd seen him pop up, you know, uh, on the injury report a couple of times more frequently in recent years. And this year, I think he was only on there like once, and it wasn't a thing. He might have been like a quad or something or a calf, but I don't think he's missed a game. He's been ah, – did he miss one game? He might have missed one game this year. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you make a good point about the offense, how many opportunities they've had. It's just why haven't they given him those opportunities? Like the guy can boot it from 56, and, you know, watching him in practice – the guy's the guy's tremendous. <laughs> he's he's fantastic. Like how many opportunities? I'd be interested in this kind of because in a lost season, I'm interested in a lot of other things, i.e. the draft. But I'd like to go back and see how many opportunities the Texans this year alone passed up on. You know, giving Kaimi an opportunity to kick a 50 plus yard field goal this year. I I didn't feel like that happened much, and a lot of times they would just not give him the opportunity because they thought. It, you know, we can get a yard or something. Or the other reason is, you know, it, it was it was a situation where the Texans were so far behind, they're trying to play catch up and they need touchdowns instead of field goals. But I just remember so many times in the Bill O'Brien era when these games are just, you know, they're points that are the difference. And yeah. O'Brien would just have literally no confidence in him. And he wouldn't go for it. He would punt on the other side of the 50-yard line, which drove me up the wall because I'm like, why did you pay this guy all this money? You think he's that good? And, you know, and, and I, I realized he didn't look quite as good as he's looked the last few years. He used to lot, miss a lot more extra points in, in the previous seasons, too. I mean, that's a big change for him as well. The shorter field goals a lot of times were the ones that were giving him problems. But, you know, it just, to me, it, it, that, that just sticks out like a sore thumb. The other 
guy that I wanted to mention real quickly because, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on him last week, but just again this week, Okoronkwo, two tackles for loss, a sack, a QB hit. He looks like the real deal to me. I don't know. He does. I thought he looked like the real deal in the preseason. I know you have to take that a little bit with a grain of salt and considering the uh, opposition, you know, a lot of times guys are going up against other teams, twos and threes and, the preseason is so difficult. I, I can just tell you this. I got excited because the guy was in the backfield with regularity. He was extremely disruptive in, in, in the preseason. And, boy, you just think a guy like that with his build and the fact that he'd just stay healthy and is rec- not reckless, but that reckless abandon, I guess you could say, that he plays with just the aggressiveness. I love it. I mean, that's exactly what you want out of a pass rusher. And so what's what I'd like to see when a team is in a situation like this, I want to see those guys excel, particularly against teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars or, you know, the Tennessee Titans that have something to play for, right? I mean, I know today was a meaningless game, statistically speaking, for the Jaguars. There's nothing that would have happened today that it would have meant anything to them. But you talk about momentum. You talk about not wanting to get rusty. You talk about just keeping that same mindset, not not trusting, you know, players, individuals to just, hey, walk in Monday morning, flip the light on, and now this week it's for real, guys. It's go time. No, this Jags team is clearly, you know, stepping on the throat, pedal to the metal today, and look at what you did see out of some Texans, namely, uh, you know, Obo Okoronkwo. He's probably the one guy, really, to be honest with you, thinking back, that you could really feel good about today that flashed. Um, and he'd been doing so here in recent weeks. I think the guy's an absolute gamer. I think he'll be a fourth or fifth-year pro next year, and that's something, or somebody, rather, that I think the Texans really need to consider hanging on to. It's going to be interesting because you talk about pass rush. I mean, I think you got to like what you got this season out of Jerry Hughes. I think you really have to appreciate the effort that you'd seen um, as the season wore on, and typically with bad teams, you don't see individuals excel, particularly against the talent that they have been playing in Dallas, Kansas City, and Tennessee over the course of the last few weeks. Um, pass rush. What about interior-wise? I'd, I'd be okay with kind of what I've seen from their uh, uh, edge rushers, to be quite honest with you. They could do a lot worse. Any last thoughts on this one or moving forward with the Texans before we close it out? Uh, you know, the hell with this game. I mean, <laughs> in particular, you know, with this game, it is what it is. It's over and done with. Um, I, I it, it, it all comes down to next week, man. I, it's, it's, it's really frustrating that the Bears didn't win. Um, all eyes are going to be on, you know, the Texans and uh, Bears opponents next week. The Bears will be playing the Vikings. How many guys are the Vikings going to be playing? How easy is that game going to be for them? And are the Texans going to find a way to screw it up, you know, and beat the fighting Jeff Saturdays uh, next Sunday in Indianapolis? I don't know. Just hopefully some sort of, like, karma from uh, this franchise's history when it used to be impossible to go up to Indianapolis and win a football game. Hopefully that reemerges despite, like, how bad the Colts have been underneath Jeff Saturdays. Uh, head coaching, I, that's all you can kind of hope for. Control your own destiny. Don't screw up the number one pick. Keep it, and then we can have discussion upon discussion about uh, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud going forward. We've got four months to do that. But really, 
much, much less time. I made this point. Let's not fast forward too much to April 27th, Robert, because within the next three weeks, maybe four weeks, we're going to learn a little bit more than we think we know already about Cal McNair and Nick Casario, because there's going to be staff changes. Is it going to be Lovey Smith? Is it going to be Pep Hamilton and a completely new offensive staff and a defensive staff uh, retooling? I don't know, but I think we all know what we would like to see. And whoever they peg as their new head coach, potentially, or an offensive coordinator, potentially, is going to tell us maybe a little bit more about what they're thinking quarterback-wise come April 27th. Yeah, it's true, because not only could we find out if they got the number one pick overall this coming Sunday, but maybe the following day, maybe Sunday night, if somebody leaks it, we could find out if Lovey Smith is coming back, like you said because that's the other big shoe to drop. And, you know, the Texans, they got to get one more clutch loss next week, just one loss away from the number one overall pick. They play the Colts, who've lost nine of their last 10. The Texans have lost 10 of their last 11. So this is going to be a battle of the Titans. And look for also my next show Tuesday night, focusing on the Rockets with our regular expert, Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. And Sean and I should hit you guys with our midweek show around Wednesday night. And we hope you're enjoying 2023 for me and Sean. We'll talk to you again soon. Go Colts! <laughs> you're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.